Hey everybody, it's the last day of January and I'm simply amazed at how quickly the month has passed. Tomorrow will be in another month, but I hope it's been a good one for you and you have spent time in January fasting and praying that you uh, have been seeking God to bring spiritual growth to your own life and praying for that to happen in the lives of other brothers and sisters. And you've been praying to be a bolder witness for Jesus and praying for people who are far from God. Keep doing that. Keep doing that even once it becomes February. Well, today we are starting the book of Nehemiah. So we are in uh, chapter one. And the context is that Nehemiah is uh, the cupbearer to the king, meaning that he was the one who would bring him his drinks, his wine, and other things, and meaning he had regular, consistent access to the king. And the king here is Artaxerxes. We learned that in the first verse of chapter 2. And so Nehemiah is a descendant of the Jewish exiles, Remember the destruction of the kingdom of Judah by Babylon in 587 B.C. and so on. And so he's one of their descendants who's still living in Persia. Uh, It had been some years since the Jews had been allowed to return home to Jerusalem and rebuild the city and the temple. But as you know, many, if not the majority of their descendants stayed in Persia and the other places to which they had been deported. And so Nehemiah is one of these descendants in Persia. Artaxerxes was king of the Persian Empire from 465 B.C. to 424 B.C. And we learn in the first verse of Nehemiah that it was in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' rule that the events here unfold. So that would put it about 400 uh, 44 BC. That's about 15 years after Ezra had returned to Jerusalem. Because remember, Ezra did that in the very beginning of Artaxerxes' reign. So you jump ahead about 15 years, and now it's the time of Nehemiah, and they are at the the palace or the capital of Susa. Susa was where the Persian uh, winter capital or winter palace was located. And so that's where this is taking place. And it mentions that it's in the the, the, the month of Keslev, which is uh, November, December for us. And so it's in the beginning days of winter. And chapter two takes place in, in the month of Nisan, which would be March or April. Um, and Nehemiah's brother had made a visit to Jerusalem. Now he's returned to Susa, to, to uh, Persia, and they're talking. And Nehemiah asks him, how's everything going back there? And his brother gives him a, um, well, a, a negative report, if you will. He says the people are distraught. They're discouraged. Uh, yes, they've rebuilt the temple, but the city walls and the city gates are still in ruins, which means that the city is unprotected uh, from uh, invaders and the attacks of other armies and so on. And Nehemiah is is brokenhearted by this uh, by this news that the people are struggling and the walls are still laying on the ground. When when the Babylonians destroyed it, they just they just tore down the stone walls and they burned uh, the wooden gates. And that's the situation all these years later. And so Nehemiah is grieved and he seeks God. 
And what I want to focus on for a moment in terms of my devotional thought is, is some of the, the, the things we learn about how to seek God when there's a need, when there's a burden, when something is breaking your heart. And, and the first thing I want you to notice is found in verse 4 when he says, When I heard these words, the report of his brothers, uh, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Fasting and praying before the God of heaven. The whole month of January, we have spent praying and fasting. Praying and fasting. And that is the very thing Nehemiah does here. Um, when something is a burden, when something is a, a great need, a great opportunity, uh, when there's a challenge, seek God and his plan and his help and his purpose by praying and fasting. And remember, we encourage you to pray every day that God will give you opportunities to share the gospel this day or to invite someone to church this day. Pray that prayer every morning and then pray that God will give you the boldness to speak. It should be a burden on my heart, on your heart, that we are sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Pray and fast. That's part of what you were asked to pray and fast about in January. Keep doing that. You have children and grandchildren who are far from God. Fast and pray for them. You have co-workers or neighbors or friends who don't know Jesus. Pray and fast for them. That's how we seek God. The second, second thing is really interesting. Look at verses 6 and 7. 6 and 7. He's praying, and part of what he says to the Lord is, let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants. Notice this, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we, including himself, have sinned against you, I and my father's house have sinned. Then he goes on in verse 7 to say, we have acted very corruptly against you by not obeying your commandments and so on. Um, Jerusalem was conquered by the, the Babylonians because of the sins of that generation and their ancestors. And now you jump forward 140 plus years and Nehemiah is confessing sin of his people. He identifies himself and says, our sins, my sins. But Nehemiah was not the one who was not trying to seek God. This is, I've pointed this out other times in recent months, that in the Bible, there is a place for confessing the sins of our ancestors. I mean, if we want God to do a great work, we have to be honest about our sins, the sins of our people, the sins of our nation, the sins of our forefathers, the sins of our ancestors. Some people push back and argue, no, you just have to confess your sin. Listen, I get that. You have to confess your sin to be forgiven for your sin. But we have such a focus on individualism in the West and in America, we miss what the Bible clearly teaches about corporate responsibility, corporate judgment, and corporate repentance. 
And I really believe one of the reasons some of the issues we struggle with in America have never been healed is because we refuse to repent genuinely with brokenness and confess and repent of the sins of our families, of our forefathers, of our ancestors, whether it's our blood kin, our Baptist family, until we understand that we are not living for Jesus in isolation, there are some things that are never going to heal. There's a third lesson. At the end, in, in verse 11, he said, O Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. And notice this, the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name. Our attitude when we are praying makes a difference if, if we want our prayers to be powerful. And what he's saying here is if you are a person who is walking in Jesus and you, you delight, it gives you joy to revere, to respect, to honor the name of Jesus with your words, with your life, with your attitude, your prayers are going to be more effective. Just like the previous thing, if we are willing to repent and genuinely confess our sins and not just my individual sins, but the corporate sins of the community to which I belong, our prayers will be more powerful. And there's one final thing. Look with me at verse 4. He's, and, and we read this a minute ago, but look at the first part of it especially. He said, when I heard these words, the report of his brother, of his brother about the problems in Jerusalem. He said, when I heard this, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. He was broken. He was broken. Repentance involves brokenness. True burden to see God do something great in our life or someone else's life involves brokenness. When was the last time we shed a tear because somebody was lost? Shed a tear um, because a family was falling apart. Shed a tear. Because spiritually we weren't growing or someone else wasn't growing. And not just a tear because it hurt, but a, but, but a tear that flows out of brokenness because we want to see God do something. Powerful praying often flows out of brokenness. Because brokenness means we recognize we need God because we are inadequate and the situation or the need is great. So pray with brokenness. Pray with an attitude that you love Jesus and obey Jesus. Pray having confessed your sin and the sins of the group to which you belong and pray with fasting so your prayers will be powerful. Hey, I'll see you tomorrow as we look at chapter two. God bless you.